All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Paul. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, the CEO of Bittrex Global, Mr. Oliver Lynch. Oliver, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Hi, Bryce. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I appreciate you uh, you staying up late for me. It's my morning, your evening, and uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into uh, some really interesting concepts around exchanging cryptocurrency and building, you know, these global platforms. And you know, you have a law background, so we're going to talk about crypto regulation. Um, so let's kind of, you know, get uh, acquainted here with the audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to be, you know, the CEO of a global crypto exchange. Sure. Well, as with everything in crypto, it's a bit of a, a a cool tale and unexpected twists and turns. So I was for many years a financial regulatory lawyer practicing mostly in the UK, which, as you might be able to hear, is where I'm from, but also uh, did some work in the US uh, and in the Middle East as well. I had two main focuses, which were traditional markets. So the New York Stock Exchange, London Stock Exchange, and some of the cooler stuff they were doing out in the Middle East and fintech. And the last five years or so, fintech became a huge part of my platform. And if you marry up fintech with exchanges and kind of put them together, uh, you get to a crypto exchange. So I joined Bitrix Global uh, last year uh, as general counsel. So I was running the legal function here. And then earlier this year, my predecessor stepped down as CEO and they appointed me uh, for better or for worse. Here I am yeah. uh, as CEO. So still, still running the legal function as well because of Bitrix Global, uh, and I know you, you've teed it up in your introduction, but one of the things that we are really proud of is our commitments to legal and regulatory compliance across the board. So having a lawyer as CEO is you know, yet another sort of signal of our commitment on that front. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because we do really see a lot of investment bankers and traders and uh, even entire firms leave traditional finance uh, for crypto, right? It's kind of been a trend that we've seen the past, yeah, call it two years, uh, maybe you know, eighteen months. But but you're a lawyer by background, and so do you see similarly many lawyers starting to kind of like leave their cozy, prestigious law firms and take that leap over to crypto, or is it still generally viewed as too risky, and you feel like a total, uh, you know, renegade? <laughs> I'm, I'm not cool enough to be a renegade, I can assure you <laughs> of that. Look, I, I think what's happening across the board is people are beginning to realize and realize pretty quickly this is not a fringe activity. This, you know, crypto 10 years ago could be dismissed as, you know, kind of hobby interest of a few you know, people with, with particular focus on tech at the peripheries of finance. That's just not true anymore. Like nobody now doubts that crypto and blockchain in general has a real and um, disruptive influence. Everything's disruptive these days, right? But crypto is genuinely disruptive in the industry because it's such a revolutionary concept in the way you do finance that I think if you're sitting in a big bank or you're sitting in an investment firm or you're sitting in a law firm, you might not like it, but you cannot ignore it anymore. So look, every big bank has a substantive crypto desk now. They just have to, whether or not they like to admit it, they have to have it. Every investment manager has crypto as part of their portfolio. And every regulatory lawyer and all of the people that I speak to that were doing the kind of law that I do, they're beginning to see that, that getting involved in crypto now is, is not just 
cool, but it's compelling. Like people expected a few. So I, I might have jumped a little bit more headfirst in than some of my colleagues, but I'm excited to do so. Yeah, no, it's, you know, the regulatory landscape of crypto is tough, I imagine, just because, I mean, this is, you know, it's in your name, right? Global, right? This is a global asset class. It's not just a U.S. stock that trades on, you know, one exchange. It's not just a Japanese yen that has, you know, it's it's only in Japan. I mean, this, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, these are global, permissionless. So it's kind of a regulator's worst nightmare, um, if you will. Um, how do you kind of think about crypto in the context of not just country by country regulation, but just how is it going to globally get recognized? Is it going to be, you know, this standards body or is it going to be something similar to the regulation of the internet? Yeah, it, it is the challenge and figuring out what standards you need to apply and how and when is part of the challenge for, for us and for every crypto exchange, but also for every country. So it's taking a step back. When you think about shares or derivatives or uh, any other kind of traditional financial instrument, we're so used now to understanding what it means to be regulated in that space. There are international standards. IOSCO for, for market infrastructure is, is the obvious one. People generally understand what it means when I say, I am a bank and I'm regulated, or I am an exchange and I'm regulated. That standard doesn't yet exist in crypto space, right? So when Bitrix Global was, was first founded, and when Bitrix US was founded way before that, like a decade ago, we were one of the very first exchanges to be pushing for regulation at all. And in fact, it was incredibly controversial back then because those people that consider themselves crypto enthusiasts were arguing that any kind of government supervision was anathema to the very concept of regulation. You know, our founders received actual death threats from people saying they were undermining the very concept of crypto. Nowadays, everyone at least uses the language of being regulated. Pretty much everyone across the board, at least publicly, recognizes that if it's going to be a serious asset class, if it's going to be something that investors can have confidence in, there needs to be some kind of regulation over it. Now, some of those people have just come out to our way of viewing the world, and that's great. And we, we would like to see being uh, our, our vision being vindicated. Some, on the other hand, are just using the language, right? They're wrapping themselves in the cloak of regulation to get a few easy PR wins. Uh, and then when you look behind it, they're not really regulated in any meaningful way. And there are still countries around the world that would allow you to use that cloak, to have it as a, a trophy in your trophy cabinet, because people aren't asking the question after that. Okay, you say you're regulated, but what does that mean? How are you regulated? Where are you regulated? Under what standards are you regulated? And probably most of all, how does that make the whole system safer? How does that make me as a user safer? So one of the things that we really push for at Bitrix Global, and one of the reasons we're really pleased to see that Mika seems to be reaching the end of its legislative process and, and will What's be on that? the statute Mika? books. Mika, so Mika is the EU's initiative to regulate crypto seriously. Mm. Um, it has been a, a rocky road. It's gone through various permutations. But the plan is that by maybe this time next year, uh, across the entirety of the EU and the EEA, so that's the, the EU that we're all used to, plus Liechtenstein, uh, Iceland, and, and, and Norway, you will have a single harmonized rule book that will 
set out how you do regulation for crypto, what it means to be regulated. Now, that has borrowed explicitly in some cases from earlier bits of legislation, including in Liechtenstein, something called the Blockchain Act or the, the German acronym is the TVTG. And that's what we're at Bidgets Global. That's what we're currently regulated under because Liechtenstein is a very small country just on the border of, of Austria and, and Switzerland. Being small, it was able to move really quickly in the crypto space and to take a, a pioneering view and say, this is what good regulation looks like. This is the standards that we think you need to comply with in order to be offering safe, regulated market. And we said, Richard Global said, sure, that's, that's exactly what we want. And we work closely with the regulators in Liechtenstein to get regulated and to help frame, uh, help shape that framework. Similarly, Bermuda was one of the first countries, again, it's a British overseas territory, very much in the UK legal tradition, but it's a small country. And once the political will was there to take crypto seriously, introduce its own digital assets business uh, act uh, a little bit later than Liechtenstein. But again, we've been really proud to be regulated under that regime. And the key thing in both those jurisdictions is not just that they've got the laws in place, but that they're enforcing them properly. The regulators there are really smart people, really interested in doing crypto and doing it properly. They've got a lot of experience in, in, in Liechtenstein's case in, in the traditional banking industry, in Bermuda's case in, in the insurance industry. So they've got clever regulators willing to apply the tools that they built up over years, decades of experience of regulating entities and applying those very high standards to crypto exchanges like us. So that's where we want to be. We hope that, that this Mika that I'm talking about in the EU will roll that out in a much wider space. And that we, we started this off by saying, how do you track around the world? We want to get to a stage where there's such understanding of what crypto is, how crypto works and how crypto should be done, that you know who you're putting your money on. You wouldn't put your money in an unregulated bank or in a bank that's regulated in a jurisdiction that doesn't comply with the best standards going. So why should you put right. your money on an unregulated exchange or an exchange that's based in a jurisdiction that just doesn't have the standards that, that we expect? Yeah. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it's truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, 
Go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, man, that's incredible. And, you know, again, kind of hearkening back to this concept of, you know, crypto being really multifaceted. You know, it's not just a currency that you could send back and forth to each other. You know, you could actually digitize or, uh, you know, tokenize securities where you could have, you know, a, a stock of Tesla kind of wrapped up. It's on the blockchain. It's verifiable that this is, um, you know, tracking with the the Tesla stock price and all that kind of stuff. And people could trade that pretty fluidly across uh, different, you know, crypto exchanges. Now, does Bittrex Global have plans to trade tokenized securities? So, so this is a really good example of how regulations around the world are something that we have to keep really close attention to. Because what, what you're talking about, tokens and tokenized securities, uh, is a classic example. So in the EU, to trade tokens requires a separate license because tokens are seen as derivatives. I like first off, I like that portmanteau of S tokens. Tokens yeah, right. is like a security token. I never heard that. At least, at least it's something that isn't an acronym. Everything else in the industry is an acronym, <laughs> but tokens will get us. So you cannot trade tokens on Bitrix Global or on any other platform in the EU unless they've got the additional license, what's called a, a MIFID license. And we at the moment we only offer which so the answer to your question is yes, we do offer tokens. And you can go on Bitrix Global and trade those tokens now, except in those jurisdictions where you know, you're not allowed to do it. And we're not allowed to do that in the EU. Now, are there exchanges out there that will allow you to do you know, workarounds or get around the rules? Maybe. And um, you know, I think our focus is on complying with the rules and understanding what we can offer and how we can offer them. So if you find yourself in Australia, if you're an Australian listening to this and you want to get involved in trade tokens, go to global.pitchers.com and you will find our portfolio of tokens there and available for you to, to trade. If you find yourself in Germany, then unfortunately you won't be able to do that. So it's a really good example that you picked on of how we at Pitchers Global have to really keep track on legal developments uh, and regulatory compliance across the world because you know we're making a lot about the, the obligations that we have here. Unfortunately, that means like it's hard work. You have to put in the hard yards and you have to be able to, to tell people, like, no, we're, we're not allowed to offer this because it's not permitted by your home jurisdiction. So um, it's my job as a lawyer and my job as a CEO to make sure that we're really keeping on top of all of that kind of stuff. But Stokens is a great example. Yeah. Now, and, and the next thing that that's, you know, really capturing my attention, you know, I, I think security tokens is going to be huge, but also this concept of uh, decentralized finance, right? DeFi. And there's a, you know, a, a big gap between, you know, DeFi in its current state and traditional finance in its current state. And very clearly one's, 
you know, heavily, heavily, heavily regulated and, you know, mountains and mountains of paperwork to get transaction done. And then there's DeFi, which is pretty, you know, wild west and it's kind of point and click and, you know, you could get a loan, you know, in, in a second. Right. And so somewhere there's a gradient, there's going to be like a, you know, a, a meet in the middle between DeFi in its current form and traditional finance. And soon it's just going to all be, you know, finance. It's, you know, people aren't really going to call it DeFi. It's just going to be, hey, this is just how the world works. We're re-architecting the financial system. We're moving off of COBOL and basic, you know, 1980s databases. And we're, we're getting that sort of upgrade. But where where's the sweet spot between, you know, DeFi and the mainstream, if you will? Well, the, the easy answer would be for me to say a centralized digital assets exchange, because um, it just so happens that, that I run one of those. <laughs> but but I think, look, it's important to look at what DeFi means, because at the moment, DeFi is used as this kind of nebulous term to uh, encompass a wide range of services and activities. Um, and what we're actually seeing, I think the bigger move is, is the one that you, you reference, which is all of this stuff, all of what we'll call just digital assets in general, blockchain technology, DLT, whatever you want to call it, is just becoming more and more mainstream. Like institutional interest is a is a good barometer for this. And you know that when the institutions are taking something seriously, it's moving out of the fringes and into the mainstream. So where does that work? Well, let's bring it back to the question of the standards you want to apply. If you are talking about the real wild west of decentralized finance in its purest form, actually applying regulatory standards to that is incredibly difficult because what do you capture? What do you go after? Who do you say, like, you, I'm imposing these standards on you and I'm holding you responsible for those? Well, there is no you if you're entirely decentralized. So if you want to apply some kind of regulatory standards, the highest kind of regulatory standards, you need someone to affix those standards to. And if that is a centralized exchange, and we at BitChips Global obviously think that it is, then that creates a path for mainstream adoption of crypto and digital assets as a whole. There will always be people that want to do some of the crazier, wackier, funkier things. Um, and pure decentralized finance may well always have a role to play within that. But what you're seeing as it becomes more mainstream, as it becomes what, what we in industry try to call mass adoption, which mm. always sounds a little bit weird to me, but, but but making it so normal to invest in crypto that actually it becomes more normal to invest in crypto than to invest in traditional products. Um, because that's one of the great advantages of crypto is that it's this democratization of finance. And what we're seeing, the reason it's so quickly becoming mainstream is that people are getting frustrated with traditional products, right? The rules are such that they're shut out. They're covered in gobbledygook that no one can understand what the terminology means. There's no real way of educating yourself. And that's even if you're allowed to trade this stuff, it's such a, not just regulated market, but regulated in the sense of just banning things, unless you happen to be rich or a multinational corporation, and then there are all sorts of exemptions that allow you to trade this stuff. Crypto is unburdened by that. Mm. Crypto allows people to access finance in areas and in sectors and in communities where they simply don't have access to traditional finance. You know, we see this in huge numbers in, in the Far East. We see it in Africa. People that cannot get traditional banks to extend financial services and products to them 
of finding solace in crypto and the opportunities that crypto uh, affords them. So does that require it to be decentralized in a sort of wild west, as you described it kind of way? No. What it requires, actually, is a point of contact where they can have confidence to engage in the system, have confidence that there's a proper legal underpinnings for what they're doing, but have access to this entire range of products and services that is not available to them in the traditional markets. Yeah, no, very well said, and a uh, lot of lot of clarity there. And I, I think I, I agree. Like you know, the, these folks that are in more developing nations um, will be able to find easier access to to financing and to uh, capital formation, uh, really through some of these you know centralized exchanges. And, and maybe even you know some decentralized platforms, but you know I'm really curious. A lot of people have been asking me, and a lot of people are just curious about the the bear market and the, that we're kind of in in crypto and broadly as well with the traditional financials, um, with you know a lot of sovereign debt kind of being repriced a lot lower, um, yield skyrocketing, dollar strength you know at at, at record highs inflation at 40 year highs all this crazy freaking stuff and here we find crypto in the middle uh, of this kind of crap storm uh down 70% but you know the the underlying technology the value of crypto that hasn't been negated right we're still here we're still building there's still very smart people but but how do you think crypto's kind of going to come out of the other side and and I don't need like a timing or a price call or anything like that but but how do you think crypto is going to react uh, going forward in this sort of recessionary period? Sure. I mean, look, it is it is crazy times across pretty much whichever sector you look, right? And mm-hmm. um, there, there doesn't seem to be at the moment anywhere obvious for the safe money to go. What's interesting is the last, the business has been around for a long time. We've seen bear markets come and we've seen bear markets go. And ultimately, we do believe in the underlying technology and we think that this bear market will go away in just the same way as it has in the past because the the nub of it the, the foundation of it the dlt behind it is real and is is there and has been proven so what we're seeing unlike in other recessions or sorry in other bear markets where there's been a counter cyclical movement as traditional markets have gone up Crypto has gone down. As crypto has gone up, traditional markets have gone down. Now, kind of everything is is struggling a little bit, um, and you know we don't know exactly what shape that recovery will look like. Like what will we'll take? We don't know exactly when it will happen or exactly what will precipitate the change. There does seem to be a lot of uh, increasing amount of stability in the markets at the moment. Does that mean there won't be another dip or another surge? No. Like volatility in markets is just unpredictable and at the moment generally difficult so what are you supposed to do how are you supposed to know what to do well for me it comes back to the signals from those people that are most used to modeling this most most used to um identifying and managing risk and that's the institutions right if you're an individual investor you don't quite know what's going on the obvious natural conservative small c choice is we don't know anything, don't invest anywhere, just sit and wait it out. Well, funds don't have that luxury, right? They have to put their money somewhere. They have to get involved in something. They, I mean, they can just put it all in cash, but cash itself is subject to inflation, and that's not such a good option either. 
bond markets are doing whatever the hell the bond markets are doing today. So increasingly, they are looking at crypto. And they're looking at crypto not as a sort of wacky alternative finance product, but they're looking at it as a, a legitimate, a genuine, or at the very least, an interesting place to put their money. So my signal for the for the market as a whole comes from the institutions because I think they're best placed to not predict the future, but to predict what shape the future will take. Yeah. And all, so all eyes got, on the institutions, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I think so, because um, you know, they're sophisticated at doing this stuff, they're paid lots of money to do it. Um, and what and what do we see? Well, they do the analysis of what's behind it. Mm-hmm. Again, the, the 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 belief in and the strength of distributed ledger technology, blockchain technology, is underpinning all of this. So, will any given cryptocurrency have a successful future? Like we can never predict that. And this exchange is kind of not our job to predict that. We're just there to facilitate market activity, right? In the same way as the New York Stock Exchange doesn't predict the success or, or lack of success of any one stock. Its job is right. just to say, right, here is a market, go trade on this activity. So we're still seeing the strength in that. And even when volume numbers on the retail side are, are down across the board, that strength of the belief in the underlying technology is, is as robust as ever, if not more so. Mm. I love that. It's it's such a stark divergence almost between low prices and high value and high conviction, right? It's like the the industry keeps getting more valuable and, and you know more regulated and more um, you know investor capital, but you know prices haven't necessarily reacted to that, and so it's maybe a, a latent potential underlying a lot of this that could hopefully have some explosiveness to the upside. Not financial advice, but hopefully. <laughs> Well, and you're seeing it in just in M and A activity as well within the crypto space, mm. right? So even if you take ignore the actual um, transactions in crypto and look at the transactions around crypto companies, right? There's been a huge spike in the last even six months in M and A activity because again, banks and fund managers and asset managers uh, and funds across the board see this as an opportunity to snap up a bargain, right? They get in at a low price because they believe fundamentally in the long-term value of these companies. So yeah, like they, they, the signals are all there. Will that translate into trading volume and spikes in prices? Will, will Bitcoin go back up to whatever the hell you want it to go up to? <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to speculate on that. And it's not my job to speculate on that. Is there something fundamentally important about things like Bitcoin and the technology behind them? Yeah, absolutely there is. Love it. Well, Oliver, real quick, before we, we let you go, I want to make sure we, we highlight you know, the roadmap and some plans for Bittrex Global. What kind of excites you here in the near term for, for your business? What do you guys have planned? Um, you know, I, I, I've heard some people ask, you know, wh- when's the Bittrex token going to launch? When's the Bittrex ex- uh, decentralized exchange going to launch? Tell us what's going on behind the scenes. Ah, oh, no, that, that would be letting you in on far too much. No. <laughs> That's um, above my pay grade. <laughs> look, we did launch this year, we launched or relaunched our initial exchange offering platform. You know, that that we did our first IEO for, for many years um earlier this year, and that was a great success. And we learned a lot of lessons from how we did that uh, and what that looks like for the road for, for, for the roadmap for the future. 
as to what the next 12 months bring, like we have always at Pinterest Global, we've always been consumer driven. We we know that there are there are people out there, there are companies out there that will chase the uh chase the headline, go for a high value, shiny prize, whether or not that ultimately benefits the consumers at all. And that's not the approach that we've ever taken. We've always had and prized ourselves on having a good dialogue with our users, and that's retail and institutions, to figure out what they want. What products are they after? What can we offer them? How can we make their life easier when they want to get involved in trading crypto? So we're really driven by that. And if that means passing up a few shiny opportunities to do uh, to grab a few headlines, then, then so be it along the way. Love it. Well, I'm excited. Uh, Oliver, before we let you go, one question we like to ask everybody who comes on to the Crypto 101 podcast. It's a pretty simple one. Um, we like to you know, let you guys go with some relaxing thoughts here. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are kind of, you know, trickling into crypto. This is their first podcast they might have heard. So, oh, you know, this is mind blowing. What's going on? What's like one word of advice that you could give like a brand new crypto enthusiast? What would you want him or her to know? So I think the major advantage that crypto has over traditional finance is that there is so much information out there. There's probably too much information out there, but you can go and you can educate yourself about this stuff. You can really understand what crypto is, how it works, why it works, and why you're investing. So my advice to anyone, and it's true in traditional finance and crypto finance alike, is go study up. Go get yourself mm -hmm. the information that you need to figure out what you're doing. And the great thing about crypto is that you can really do that. We, especially at Pitchers Global, we're trying to, our very best to demystify a lot of the jargon, a lot of the, um, what well, I described it earlier as gobbledygook. Um, <laughs> we want to get rid of that, right? We want, we want people to have confidence in what they're doing. Right? They can have confidence in our platform because we invest huge amounts of money in the technology and security and innovation, and as we've been discussing in the regulation. But ultimately, if you're going to invest, if you're going to get into crypto, know what you're doing. And the joy of crypto is that all the information, all the resources you need are out there. Just go to globalwoodbitches.com and you'll see them all. Yeah, guys, I couldn't stress that enough. Keep educating yourself. Keep listening to Crypto 101 podcast. Keep... For sure. Uh, <laughs> doing your own research and uh, most importantly you know staying safe and staying diversified across venues across assets across wallets all that stuff man mr oliver lynch ceo of bitrex global thank you so much for coming on today uh and we hope to have you back on soon where the when you guys have some more updates a real pleasure thanks for having me on it's been it's been great cheers This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.